1: The Blue Jays leading the White Sox, bottom of the third Eskimos Tiger Cats. Coming up Friday night, Brickfield at Commonwealth Stadium. They played a couple of weeks ago. Eskimos pulled out that dramatic victory. About uh, 20 players on the Tiger Cats involved in a uh, fight at practice today. Here's head coach Kent Austin. It's uh, it's no big deal. You know, things happen and
2: uh, emotions get get out of control at times. I mean, listen, I've been on teams that fought a lot more than this team ever has in five years. So uh, guys handle it well after it was broken up, and and uh, they're close, so we're not, not not worried. But don't make too much of it.
1: Alright, no big deal for Kent Austin. They're fighting, they're 0 5, and uh, they're going to play the 5 0 Eskimos on Friday night. I'm not taking them lightly. Just saying, the Eskimo should be favored. My name is Reed Wilkins, Inside Sports on 6:30. Chad, Oil Country Championship teeing off on Thursday. The Celebrity Pro Am was today. The practice day is tomorrow, and I'm pleased to feature on the show a man who's going to be competing in the tournament and has a very interesting story. It is Jamie Sedlowski checking in tonight. Jamie, you're on with Reed. How are you doing?
2: I'm good, Reed. How are you
1: doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for making time for me uh, tonight. And we should tell people this is not the first interview we've done, but it's the first one we've done in probably <laughs> at least a decade because yeah. uh, you did play for the Bonneville Pontiacs in the Alberta Junior Hockey League while I would have been working in, in Lloyd Minster. So great to talk to you again, uh, man. What are what are your summer your fondest memories of playing Junior A for Bonneville?
2: Uh, i think it's you know all the guys you met playing and um you know the road trips and the camaraderie and uh, friendships that uh you know are last a long time so uh you know those years were fun obviously i've taken a little different career path uh since 2008 but um yeah it was, it was obviously a great experience you learn a lot uh um and a lot of what i learned playing junior is you know helped me with uh you know long drive and you know now my new career I, I just golf.
1: yeah, I just, I just want to touch on that a, a bit because first of all, oh five oh six was your first year. Mark Latestu was on that team. Justin Fontaine was on that team, who uh, has been in the NHL more of a minor leaguer this past season, but he's working hard to get back. Uh, I mean, what what do you remember about those two guys? Because that was Latestu's big year. So what do you specifically remember about that?
2: Yeah, that was obviously his, his last year, his twenty year old year, and he was the captain. And uh, I remember um i used to play the point at the start of the year with him on the power play and i remember some of the stuff he did out there was uh it was it was pretty unreal i mean when those guys were on the ice something good normally happened. Uh, on paper we had a pretty good team i mean we put up a lot of a lot of goals the only problem is i think we had like five rookie defensemen myself including so we didn't give those boys much help but uh yeah it, it was uh obviously my first year in the league, and. Um, I learned a lot from Mark. He was a, a great leader and obviously um, a great player. So, yeah, those are, those are some of the fonder memories, for sure, of playing three years in the Alberta Junior League.
1: I got to interview Mark last week uh, after he played at the Mark Spector Classic, raising money for Sports Central at the Quarry, and, and I asked him about you, and he said, you know, you, you had a big slap shot because you had the shoulder and hip turn. Made <laughs> I me. Mean, I don't know whether which came <laughs> first, the golf or the hockey. But were you, a, were you a pretty hard shooter in your junior days?
2: Yeah, that's one thing that, I mean, since uh, I was, you know, four or five years old, my dad used to build a rink in the backyard, and I would go back there and just hammer pucks away and break sticks like crazy. And Yeah, I mean, I've always been able to shoot a hockey puck. That's uh, that's never been, been the issue. Hitting the nets was, was most of the problem, but it was coming in hot regardless of how high or, or how low it was coming in or how wide, more like
1: so tell me a little bit about the 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 golf the golf career was this was it something you picked up pretty young as well when you started playing hockey or where did that prowess come from
2: yeah um you know growing up it was always hockey in the winter golf in the summer so it's not like you know when i quit junior i you know i, I found golf i've always had golf i've always been fairly good um the only thing is my my career took a change when i was about 14 and you know, I was a pretty good player then, and then I transitioned into long drive. I went out, out to St. Albert Trail um, at a local. Ended up winning that, winning the district, and, you know, that's when I really, you know, took long drive on full time, and um, now, obviously, I've taken a little different career path. I mean, I'm still holding a golf club, but the, the end goal is not to hit as far as possible. It's to try to get it in that hole, so right. um, it's kind of been three career path changes uh, <laughs> um, in the last couple years I guess. Well what are you now 29? Yeah I just turned 29.
1: Well I I, I do want to talk about your, your focus and what's you know your latest focus and what's coming up this week but the long drive one is interesting because Jamie so many people find that interesting because golf is so challenging I I've, I've talked about my own you know struggles with the game and very yeah. minor personal successes this summer but you know the long drive thing is is so compelling to a of people because it's it's so fascinating to see a ball go that far and that straight. What, what, and I've had Lisa Longball of on this show, who I'm sure you know. Uh, yeah. what, what was your secret to generating power when, when you were doing the long drive or focusing on it?
2: Um, you know, honestly, when I started playing golf at a very young age, I played cross handed. So right handed, but cross handed, um, just because that's what felt comfortable. So I've always been flexible, playing hockey left handed, you know, being able to shoot a hockey puck 100 miles an hour. Anything I've ever done, I've been able to do, like throw it hard. Um, anything's been done with a lot of speed, and that's just kind of my uh, my DNA, I guess. So you know, I, like it's very hard to teach someone to swing a golf club 150 miles an hour. You know, it's something that you're kind of born with. Obviously, I worked you know really hard at it and, and fine tuned it, um, but you know, a lot of the gifts I have, I was just kind of born with.
1: Well, that's it because you're not a you're not a huge guy, right? I mean, it's not like you're six six and are just.
2: You know, like yeah, no. Just, like you know, are a testament five, to
1: technique, right?
2: Technique, absolutely. Um, at five eleven, one sixty-five. I mean, every year that I ever competed, I mean, I was obviously very, very undersized. I think there was one guy that I beat in two thousand eight in the quarterfinals, Landon Gentry, who was a little bit shorter than me and about the same weight. But other than that, I mean. Anyone that's tuned into the golf channel lately and watched uh, the pairings of all the, the smaller events they're doing that are televised now, I mean, these guys are very, very large humans. But, you know, I think that's one of my things that, you know, when I won in 08, there was a lot of people that it seemed to get involved because they've seen a, a normal-sized human that, you know, if I see a guy at 6'8", 300 pounds, well, man, I, hope, I sure do hope he can hit it 400 yards. But when you see an average-sized human being able to do it, you know that might be a little inspiration to, to tell yourself you know you don't need to be big proper technique and as long as you can create club hit speed um the ball doesn't know how big you are
1: well that's a great point and i i i do not hit the ball far but i often find the my best shots i almost feel like i didn't move it's just like oh i turned my arms went along for the ride and away it went right so
2: yeah uh, a lot uh, of the time the less tension the better uh, the easier it is to, to set that angle and create that leg and uh, and to swing it fast, obviously, if you're gripping it, you know, white-knuckling it, it's it's very hard to create any angles in the golf swing.
1: You know, that's interesting. And one of the ad- advice I got, and I, I, Jamie, when I golf now, I'm to the point where I actually shake my arms loose as I'm addressing the ball. Yeah,
2: that's that's a, a great pre-shot routine. Take the tension out. And, um, you know, what I've learned over the last couple – couple months of trying to play golf now you kind of got to get in there and just you know don't worry about the result just you know hit a golf shot you know you might see one go sideways and then you put the steering two hands on the steering wheel and that just kind of makes things worse but yeah the less (laughs) tension you can take out the better
1: uh so and i want to get into your transition but you won world long drive in 08 and 09 were those the years yes correct yeah what's the furthest you've hit a golf ball
2: um obviously very conducive to weather um i mean i've hit it 485 yards in, in competition that's that's one and i've hit it you know 350 in competition that's also one so very okay. conducive to weather but i i, I would say for it's either 475 or 480 in 2013 at the world championship and you didn't
1: win that year
2: uh no that was in one of the earlier <laughs> rounds. Oh,
1: okay so it's not just your best you got to go head to head against guys eh
2: yeah like it's it's staged This is like a double elimination elimination format so uh that round actually as i recall it i hit it 475. i won the bracket um and there was a there was two guys moving out uh for uh for four spots and i believe 460 did not get in
1: oh wow okay <laughs> that's incredible
2: um, also i mean it was obviously downwind and in conditions you know the heat and everything made Play a big factor in that, but uh, yeah, there was times where you know for 460, you're packing your bags.
1: Jeez, okay, Jamie Sedlowski joining us on Inside Sports, former Bonneville Pontiac, two-time World Long Drive champion, and he's playing in the Oil Country Championship this weekend. Jamie, you're gonna laugh, and I think you'll know I don't mean this to be insulting, but I was telling somebody, oh, Jamie, you know Jamie Sedlowski coming on the show, you know I used to see him play for the Pontiac, yada yada, and I said, yeah, he's a long drive guy, but now he's trying real golf. And then I realized, wait a minute, <laughs> don't not, like that sounds insulting. So then I said, I guess traditional golf. But tell yeah. me uh, when and why you decided to make this transition competitively.
2: Uh, it would have been this fall. Uh, I didn't go to the World Championships, which uh, were late October for the first time uh, since 2003. Uh, it's something, you know, I, I've been going back and forth for a few years now. Obviously i um, having a very successful um, career in Long Drive and you know, winning two world championships and never finishing worse than fourth and making, you know, nine straight TV finals. Um, it was something that's been on the back of mind. I've always wanted to try to play. I just turned 29, and now I felt like it was the time to do it. Um, you know, I didn't want to look back and be, you know, 35 years old and never giving it a try. So the one world championship a year was great i love competing um the corporate work was obviously a great living it it was kind of getting a little bit tiring and i felt like i you know i could be doing more and you know it's like anything else you 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 get so used to something and it's just the daily grind and you kind of go through the motions where you know i felt like i i needed a new challenge and um i'll be the first one to tell you that you know i I've, i've found a new challenge but you know it's it's in my uh, bloodline to, to get this figured out and, and become successful at it.
1: All right. Uh, a couple things out of that. First of all, the, the corporate work, I mean, is this where you would just basically have to go and put on a show and you're a bit of a, you know, it's the train monkey. T- you, you,
2: you can say it. You can call me a dancing chicken.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that got a little boring. No, uh, yeah. no. You it has, has focusing on long drive, created any bad habits in the other areas of your game that you might have to deal with when you're playing around? Let me, You know what I mean?
2: Um, you know, I wouldn't say necessarily bad habits. I would say you know, it's, it's like a guy that only competes in the home run derby but doesn't play the outfield or, or doesn't play everyday baseball. Um, so, you, you know, it's a lot of fine tuning. Obviously, you know, What I did before, I would focus on just hitting it far. I would still play golf, but not for a living. So I wouldn't spend the time, you know, flipping wedges in from 100 yards and, you know, worrying about putting and, you know, grinding on stuff like that. Where my focus was solely on hitting it far and training to hit it far. Where now I've obviously backed off a lot on the training. Um, You know, now when I'm sore and tired, it's from hitting too many balls and not, you know, sitting in the gym lifting, you know, 500 pounds. So i would say that the overall aspect of golf there's obviously it's not just hitting it far if you watch pj tour nowadays hitting it far is a huge advantage if if used correctly um you can't you know it's so hard to teach someone to hit it far so i have that gift um and now it's just to spend the time and you know rounding my game out i've made some good strides this year obviously very fresh still at it and you gotta you know golf is one of those games that no one can teach you how to play they can teach you technique but you actually have to go and go through the motions and the ups and downs and you know when the heart starts beating you know fast what what you gotta do to control your heart rate and you know hit a shot at a, at any given time and how you react after good and, and bad shots and you know golf is a game of recovery so um the short game is, is so so important and that's something that i've been working pretty hard at
1: all right jamie Sedlowski, joining us at inside sports so what's your status on the mckenzie tour like did you like, just tell us how the season has gone and are you able to go in any event that you you want to enter
2: yeah so i went to q school um at the start of the year i was a conditional member because i finished uh 30th um at q school and I ended up uh, getting into, which tournament did I get into? I got a couple sponsor exemptions early. Um, So I was trying to Monday for the first couple events, and then I ended up uh, getting a sponsor exemption into Kelowna, ended up finishing top 24, um, which got me into the reshuffle, which I'm in now. So I'm guaranteed four events, Uh, I had a good finish there. So hopefully um, you know, that status might be good for the rest of the year, it might not be. Um, but if not, uh, the next couple of weeks are pretty big for me. Uh, there's two more events, obviously, Edmonton and then Calgary, before they reshuffle again. So uh, it would be nice to have a couple of good weeks and make sure I'm in the, in the last couple of events uh, to finish the year off and hopefully, you know, at the end goal, uh, play fairly well coming down the stretch here.
1: All right. Now, what's the next tour up for McKenzie? Does it, like, is it straight to web.com or, or how would it work? Yeah,
2: okay. That's right. So, um, you know, all of us, guys on the McKenzie tour are playing for the five web.com cards that they hand out. But, you know, if you don't snag one of those cards, uh, if you finish in the top 10 then you're exempt in the last stage of uh, web.com Q school, I believe if you're in the top 20, you're, you're through to the second stage. So, uh, you know, it's very beneficial down the road to play good. And if there's one thing about this sport that I've learned real fast is playing good, takes care of a lot of your problems and a lot of your worries. So uh, that's just kind of the focus right now.
1: Okay. Uh, what, what, do you, what do you think of Windermere? How does that lay out for you? I mean, I got to play, and I found the greens fast, but I don't play on tournament <laughs> conditions, right? Yeah. So,
2: uh, Wendy's a great track. Um, there's a few holes you got to kind of be careful on, um, but other than that, you're right, the greens are fast. I mean, I played yesterday, I played today. Uh, for a Monday and Tuesday, those greens are clipping pretty good, um, and they're only going to get faster. Obviously, we had a little more rain today, but looks like some sunshine in the forecast and, and they're going to be uh rolling pretty good so i think the rule there is keep the ball below the hole and and leave yourself some uphill putts so you can be aggressive for birdies and um other than that you know it's it's a golf course that the par fives are pretty gettable so hopefully if i hit it good i can turn some uh those par fives into par fours and and uh you know hopefully you know, a couple, four or under a day might do it. You never know.
1: Now, will you hit driver often or, or you know, because you can pound it so far, will you hit the driver a lot?
2: I'm trying to think of how many drivers. I will probably hit uh, for maybe five to six drivers out there.
1: Okay. Uh, so, aggressive but smart. <laughs> got a texter asking what kind of driver do you use?
2: I use, um, obviously sponsored by Callaway. Uh, So I use the new Epic driver. The loft is about eight and a half degrees, shaft is stiffer in rebar, and it's a little shorter than standard. So obviously it's not designed for distance, more so control and, and accuracy.
1: All right. Well, Jamie, you know you got a great story. You're, you're working so hard, and I hope it goes well for you this weekend and continued success on the uh, on the Mackenzie Tour. And I, ho- I hope we can uh, we can stay in contact and keep people updated on your career, man. Thanks so much for joining us tonight.
2: Absolutely, thanks for having me on, Reid. Good to good to chat with you.
1: That is Jamie Sedlowski checking in tonight. And, man, what t- he took us through the journey. He's playing junior A hockey. He's golfing in the summer. He focuses on long drive, two-time world champion, and uh, now trying to make it on the McKenzie Tour. And he's, he's doing fairly well. Like you said, he did finish tied for 23rd at uh, an event in Kelowna, and that's helped him throughout the summer. So all the best to him at the Oil Country Championship round one coming up on Thursday. The White Sox have tied it 2-2 against the Blue Jays in the bottom of the fourth. It seven twenty-four. We're coming right back inside sports on Chet. Platetsu from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 6:30 Chet. And Mark Platetsu played in the Celebrity Pro-Am today at Windermere. This is Inside Sports on 6:30 Chet. Really appreciate you tuning in tonight. Eskimos, Tiger Cats, Friday on this station. Six o'clock for the countdown to kick off. The game will begin at seven. Thirty. I had a lot of good conversations tonight. We just had Jamie Sadlowski on the show, and I'm pleased to welcome to the studio... Melanie Harris. Melanie, thanks for dropping in. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me here today, Reid. Yeah,
1: I, I appreciate you being willing to do the interview. And uh, you are going to the Invictus Games uh, in Toronto, September 23rd to 30th. And for people who don't, I mean, the basic summary of those games, they are for wounded soldiers. Is that fair?
0: That is correct. It is for ill and injured soldiers. It was Prince Harry's initiative that he went down to the States and watch the wounded warriors. And what he found from that is um, recovery through sport. So what he did was he adopted his own in 2014. That was the initial one. Um, And what it is is we have adaptive sports, 12 different sports, that. Ill and injured soldiers can be part of and take part in, and it's a friendly competition. So the one in Toronto that we're having mm-hmm. has 17 countries coming to it. Wow, 550 athletes and 12 adaptive sports.
1: Okay, and you're doing archery and sitting volleyball. Yes, I am. Okay, and we'll we'll get uh, we'll get to the the, the injuries. Uh, I want to I want to share that with people. But tell tell me first about your journey into the military. Like, wh- wh- how why did you sign up? What did you wind up doing? Like, take us through that a little bit. Absolutely. That's a big life decision.
0: Absolutely. Well, growing up in Saskatchewan, I've always been a proud Canadian, um, loving my province and loving my country, for that matter. And come November 11th, I always loved, volunteered and loved reciting in Flanders Field, mm-hmm. and I looked up to those veterans that gave so much for our freedom. So when I was looking for a career, actually it wasn't a career choice at the time, when I was looking for something to do in my late teens, I decided, you know what, this is a good fit. And I wanted to do my part. So I signed up in S- Saskatoon, Saskatchewan as a reservist with okay. 16 uh, Service Battalion as a supply technician. And as a supply technician, I was able to support all of the trades So, within my career, I was able to support the Army, the Air Force, and the Navy, and it was phenomenal. So, um, within that career, I got to go overseas. I went four times to the Golan Heights, to the former Yugoslavia, and two times to Afghanistan. Okay. Yes.
1: And this was all in what range of years?
0: Um, Within a 20-year career span.
1: Oh, wow. Okay.
0: Absolutely.
1: I I mean, when you're... I mean, it's it's easy for me to say and a lot of people to say, you know, Canada, we're, you know, we have this freedom and we thank, uh, you know, people in, in, our, in our forces for the freedom that we're allowed to have and the sacrifices they make. I say those things, I, I don't know if I'm, I'm going to be, I don't know if I really understand them, like I try to appreciate them and understand Absolutely. them. Absolutely. But you saw... Conditions in other nations where maybe... And hey, Canada's not a perfect country. That's right. But I, I imagine you saw things that maybe made you think, oh, wow, like, we are pretty lucky. Like, what's, what's the perspective there for how lucky we are to be Canadians?
0: Well, to start off, I'll start at the beginning of my journey. Um, I did uh, a tour to former Yugoslavia, for example, and I remember looking, and when we came in, it was... Um, springtime and looking around and it's like look at all this garbage on the side of the roads washers dryers and stuff and then once summer came it all was green and beautiful and lush but then when you put it into perspective they can't clean that stuff up because it's full of mines
1: oh my god they can't
0: go in and just grab that stuff and take it to a dump like we can they can't go for a walk on the grass like we can here because it's full of mines everywhere from the war that they had there. And there's years of cleaning up to do in that country alone. And you know what, that was a wonderful country, and it actually actually had one of our Prime Ministers go to school in Sarajevo. And it was beautiful at one point, and then war came. And then they needed some help, and they brought in the Canadian Armed Forces, and I was lucky to be part of that. Yeah. Yes. So are the freedoms and the luxuries that we have, just being able to run over to your neighbor's house or letting your kids run on the grass, that alone is something that we kind of take for granted.
1: That, I mean, that's, that's a really very, like, base and concise way to... I mean, like, literally, crossing the street here... Yes. You don't have to worry about, to put a blunt... Being blown up,
0: absolutely,
1: and that is a, a concern for people in some of the places you were in,
0: absolutely. And
1: and and, and again, I don't want to I don't want to suggest that there aren't um you know challenges that that uh, women face in Canada and i and i don't think we have you know true equality between the, between the genders as much as maybe we should though we have progressed but did you did you see things in your travels as well uh, in terms <laughs> of how women are treated or
0: absolutely well cul- cultural diversity is one thing and the way they grow up in these other countries is they don't have the freedom Of expression, they don't have the freedom to wear whatever they want, uh, clothing-wise even, or freedom for education. So when we go into a country like Afghanistan, we go in with um, a mandate to to build schools, a mandate to build roads to help these people get to these schools, to get to these villages. Um, And we offer health care to women, which sometimes was not provided previously um, because they didn't think that their women even needed it. Well, they do. And we were there to help with that as well, yeah. in uh, Afghanistan especially.
1: It's, a, it's a, And that's amazing too, what, what Canadian troops are involved in, in, in other countries. I mean, it's not just... Well, we're protecting or we're fighting if, if we have to. There's a lot of, like, like you said, infrastructure projects that you have Absolutely. to be a part of, right?
0: When we go into another country, we want to enable them to, to uh, live themselves after we leave. It's not about us just coming in there, taking over their country. That's not what we do. Uh, we go in there and we bring them on as support to our projects so they learn skills that they can take after the mission with them. We bring them in and we train them. That was a, a big mandate for the Canadian military, was to go in and train them to have their own um, police force, their own doctors, um, and their own hospital to, to man. Because um, when we left, we wanted them to still have that infrastructure in place, mm-hmm. so that it wouldn't go back to what it was before.
1: Melanie Harris joining us on on Inside Sports. She's going to be representing Canada in uh, archery and sitting volleyball at the Invictus Games in Toronto, September 23rd to 3. Sorry, the words you used were sick or wounded? Sick and or. Ill ill, and injured. Ill and injured, pardon me. Ill and injured. Military personnel. So that's that. The competition is for that. You mentioned how it started, which is which is a great story. So here's here's the maybe the difficult part. But what can you share about the nature of your injuries? How how did they they happen? How are you dealing with them?
0: Well, I do have a couple of injuries similar to a lot of the people of my teammates and other veterans mm-hmm. and people still serving. Um, initially, I did have a back injury, a low back injury, uh, which was later diagnosed as degenerative disc disease just from the nature of the job Mm -hmm. um, and putting extra physical labor onto my body. So that was the physical injury. But after working in the hospital in Kandahar, um, one of my secondary duties there was as a stretcher bearer. Um, So with that, when all the casualties came in, I took them off the ambulance. I brought them and got them triaged I helped with that and brought them in so that the clinicians uh, and, the t- and the technical people the med techs could actually do their job in saving their lives or patching them up and getting them back out so this isn't just Canadian soldiers that I saw these are coalition soldiers and they're also um, the Taliban and also Afghan National Army mm-hmm. so with that Um, I spent seven months over there working as this stretcher bearer, also as a supply technician, Mm -hmm. (laughs) helping out as well. Um, When I came back, I was like, wow, you know, uh, I'm not the same. So with that, my first response was very similar to a lot of military people is, well, I better get back over there. Because I don't know how to act in the real world. Because that was my world right? I had purpose while I was over there. I was part of that mission, and I didn't know how to live as a normal person. So, with that, I was eventually diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder, which we, as Team Canada, have adopted um, post-traumatic stress injury, because it's an injury. It's something I have. It's not who I am, and it doesn't define me. However, with that, I have been dealing with, for the past several years, along with a therapist, of course, and different modalities, I've been figuring out how to live with this injury. And um, that has been difficult. And, you know, uh, last year at this time, watching the Invictus Games in Orlando, I saw a friend of mine, Mimi Poulain, and she was competing after her injury. And she was rocking it. I mean, she's a great athlete, Mm and I mean, she is amazing, but what an inspiration that girl was. And I thought, you know what? Maybe that could be me. So, with that being said, I had to do a lot of soul searching, and it's like, but then I have to say to the world that I have post-traumatic stress disorder.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How am I going to do that? When it's something that I put shame on myself for, for so long. It, the stigma that was wrapped around it, within the military, um, it's more accepted now, and it's more widespread, but still it was my own. I wasn't directly in combat, you know, I didn't have it as bad as the guy beside me. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that sergeant, that PVCLI sergeant saw way more than me. But that wasn't the point. I needed to take care of me, and I realized that you know what? This is my journey. I need to own it. And if I can help one person who's in isolation at home, who's withdrawn from their family and friends, who might even be on that edge of suicide, because those are those are symptoms of PTSD. Then maybe I need to start sharing my my story. This can happen to anybody. It's not my fault. It's the way my brain processes things. Mm-hmm. And if I can share with someone and it'll make a difference, then that's why I'm here.
1: Well, Melanie, that's that's you know incredible. You're you're sharing that, and, and you know we we did talk ahead of time, and yep. I said you know you you said you know it's fine, and that's great. You, you, you said you're fine talking about it. Um, well, maybe not fine talking about it, but you are willing to talk about Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, was it? Because I, I think that's now something people hear about PTSD. It's become yes. part of our our language. We understand it. It has affected you know people in the military. Um, so, you, but you you know you were back in in Canada when you realized okay something's Absolutely. not right. Where were you like? Were you depressed? Were you just, did you find it hard to form friendship? Were you afraid of bad things happening? I and mean, how did it manifest?
0: Um, well, with that, um, I had lost a lot of close friends uh, overseas in Afghanistan people that actually sat down at the dinner table with me, people that my family had met that were in our lives and would have been in our future lives. Um, so, with that, at first I thought it was grief. You know, I lost some really close friends and my friends. Uh, lives were changed including my own so at first I'm like no that's grief well what do you do when you're grieving well what do what what do I do I keep fighting I sign up for the next rotation back over Mm -hmm. I drown myself in work Well, that was not the solution. That's called avoidance. Right. (laughs) So I I did that, and I went back over.
1: So how many times did you keep going back?
0: I just went back twice before they they, they told me that's enough. Um, (laughs) All right. (laughs) All right. So um, I went back over, and then it was actually while I was in Afghanistan, and I I was sitting there, and I'm like, you know, this tour is going to come to an end, and... I need some help dealing. You with
1: can't it. just indefinitely keep sending yourself exactly, back. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Because, you know, I could see what it was doing to me, you know, even there, I'm like, this things aren't right. So when I came back, I was, I was quite depressed. I had anxiety, uh, big time. You know, the average person can go to fireworks. I'd go to fireworks and I, I thought it was in a firefight, you know, mm-hmm. like I thought that they were bombing us and, uh, just little things like that. And, you know, going to a restaurant and having to look at the door, you know, to make sure I knew where an out was. And I need I had con- what I thought was control of the room as who was coming in. Right. I knew. I was always hypervigilant. So
1: it. normal had totally shifted in your, in Ab- your head, basically.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And then with that came the isolation because I was embarrassed by it. You know, I wanted to have these relationships and friendships like I already had with people that were looking forward to seeing me. And I couldn't even do that. I'd I'd love to talk to him on the phone, but I couldn't even leave my house. Um, So I had what was they diagnosed as agoraphobia. I, you know, being afraid to leave my house at that point. Well, that is no way to live, right? I had a great support system don't get me wrong, and my friends kept calling and kept inviting me everywhere, and my family was amazing support. However, there was still work that I needed to do.
1: So how are you now compared to those, you know, the initial realization? I mean, can you get totally better? Sorry if this is a stupid question, but can you get totally better from PTSD, or do you become better at managing it?
0: That's exactly it. You become better at managing the symptoms and the triggers. So um, there's different forms of therapy that you can do Um, you know a lot of it is talk therapy but there's also exposure therapy there's neuroscience behind it all and they've really developed a bunch of different options for you to actually for treatment now the hardest part of course is finding someone that you can trust because your trust is usually broken um, or at least mine was Um, so I needed to find someone that I was comfortable with and Find a group of people that you know could relate, and I actually I really found it with the Invictus Games. I didn't realize how badly I needed it to be around the, those people again. That if you're having a bad day, they just look at you. Oh, you're triggered. Okay, it's okay. Right. You, there's no explanation. Why's why is Melanie acting weird? Nothing like that. They're like, yeah, she's just she's just triggered. It's PTSD. Whatever. And they just they just go with it. Are you are you okay now? Yep. All right, let's carry on and do what we do.
1: Melanie, stick around because I want to talk about the value of sport and and getting into the Invictus Games in your life as well. Incredible story. Thanks a lot for coming in. Melanie Harris in studio, Inside Sports on 630
2: Chad. Hi, this is Ryan DeGer Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.
1: To the uh, Blue Jays now leading the White Sox. This is Inside Sports on 6:30. Chad, thanks a lot for tuning in. My name is Reed Wilkins. We're spending this half hour with uh, Edmonton's, uh, by way of Saskatchewan, Edmonton's Melanie Harris, who's going to be in the Invictus Games in Toronto in late September. She's going to be in uh, archery and sitting volleyball. By the way, the uh, f- the Invictus Games flag. Yep. doing the Canadian tour. So it's in Edmonton at the Garrison and a City Hall on August 24th. So there's a little uh, note yeah, for people. Right. So, you know, you've been taking us through your your journey from a teen, basically, and, and some of the places you served and things you saw and, and dealing with uh, a back injury and with PTSD. Now, the value of, of sport in your life and I guess your recovery, I can put it that way as well. Tell us about that.
0: Well, to start off, uh, a little friendly competition is, uh, is always good for the soul, right? Right. So, uh, <laughs> not going to lie there. Um, but uh, with this, uh, throughout my growing up in Saskatchewan, it's very community-oriented. So, you know, there's baseball in the summer and soccer and gymnastics. And, you know, as a child... That's what you do. There's a sport to 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 play always, or a team to cheer on. So that's what I've always been. Uh, after joining the military, they're very focused on physical fitness, and we have that you know five days a week usually. Uh, so that was something that once retiring on a medical release, I I gave up. You know the the drive wasn't there, the determination wasn't there anymore. So when signing up for the Invictus Games, we went for our first training camp. We went to Victoria. And we went to the Pacific Institute of Sports Excellence. Okay. And we were there. And this is where they train our Olympians. And they are treating us like athletes. And we're all looking at us going, geez, my medication put 50 pounds on me. How about you, right? (laughs) Oh, jeez. But they did not blink an eye. You're a veteran. You're here as an athlete. We are treating you like an athlete. And we had the best time figuring out how the heck we're going to do these adaptive sports for right. one thing right <laughs> but we had a great time with that and uh we got some great training there um but just as soon as you get into it like i had never picked up a compound bow which is, is my specialty for the mm-hmm. games until the day i got accepted and i went in i said okay this is like shooting a gun kind of right you know like <laughs> let, let's go and and it was great, and I really like that one. There's a lot of mental side to it, uh, like in any sport, but this one in particular, you're, you're really within your head, right? So um, that's why I chose that one. And, you know, we got some really good training. We've got some Olympic coaches even. Like, I mean, our Team Canada uh, coach just, did the Ironman this past weekend. Like, I mean, yeah, like these guys and they're right on you and they're just going for it. So, um, but with the sport, it's to be treated like an athlete, to give it your all, even though you have an injury, um, you do what you can. Even though before I had done standing volleyball, I had done regular volleyball. um, I played it in the forces. We had lots of fun at not a professional level, but lots of fun with it. Well, learning how to play sitting volleyball puts everybody on the same level, on on your butt, right. right? But instead of being ready for the ball with, of course you guys can't see me, but with your hands out in the ready position, you know, yeah. to get that ball, it's completely opposite in sitting volleyball. You are back on your hands ready to move right. to get to the ball. So it took a little getting used to that way, yeah. but still a lot of fun, right? And let me tell you, you will be entertained when you watch this stuff. And it just amazes me that there's something out there for everyone. So I encourage people that... You know, if you think you can't do it, get out there and just try something else. Hey, you can't do it standing, do it sitting. You have mobility issues, find your wheelchair association within your yeah. province. They're there to help
1: well, you. Well, I think you make a great point because a lot of times the first step to anything, whether it's fitness or like you said, talking about PT, like it's the very first step yeah. is the hardest. Absolutely. And let's, and let's face it, because even as adults, the fear of being laughed at or embarrassed or being told you can't Absolutely. is often the biggest fear. But then, when you do do it, often you aren't told you can't. Somebody's like, "Oh yeah, we can," or "Or I know somebody," or yes. "I've done that," you know. And yeah. that's and and you found that too, right? Find
0: your community, you know. And they're out there. And it was just, I went to a party, and then I a friend came up to me, "You're doing the Invictus Games?" She runs the Saskatchewan Wheelchair Association. She's like, wow, "Wow, you're going to meet Prince Harry. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I am. (laughs) And she's like, how can I get there? I'm like, you're with the Wheelchair Association. Get your butt to Toronto and come and and hang out and and be with us. Our athletes can come to you after this, you know. Um, So just little things like that you don't know about people within this community until you kind of reach out and see it. Uh, The motto of of the Invictus Games is I am. And it's um, by the Invictus poem by William Ernest Henley. And uh, two words that we take out of it is, I am the master of my fate, and I am the captain of my soul. And that really, really embodies all of the Invictus Games. It's what you want to do. You're the master of your own fate, and you're the captain of your own soul.
1: All right. We're into the final minute. So, uh, quickly, uh, I mean, people can Google Invictus Games. Are you on Twitter, or do you have a profile yep. on the Canadian team website. Melanie
0: Inspires on Instagram. <laughs> Melanie
1: Inspires on Instagram. <laughs> yes. So uh, look up Melanie Harris. W- I mean, we'll keep in touch. We'll follow how you're doing because it doesn't start till September 23rd. Uh, now we're into the final 40 seconds. I was told when I booked you as a guest, you're a big Oilers fan. Yes, how I am. How encouraged
0: are you? Encouraged? Oh, I'm really encouraged this year. I'm really excited about the signing of Connor McDavid. That is a great thing, and I think with that brings a lot of push forward for this team. And let me tell you, he's going to be worth every penny of it. Melanie,
1: I'm so glad you came in. Thanks for sharing your story. hope we can talk again.
0: All right. Thanks for having me, Reed.
1: That's Melanie Harris heading to the Invista Schemes. You also heard from pro, pro golfer Jamie Sudlowski. We had comments from Cam Talbot, Wayne Gretzky, Craig Simpson, Bob Nicholson. Also on the show, the studio producer is Kellen Kennedy. My producer is Dave Campbell. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thank you so much for listening tonight. Back tomorrow.